0: hey everyone and welcome to the mandalorian season 3 finale episode now we have quite a bit to discuss as always but even more so to discuss where the show goes once these credits roll now I, of course, have a lot to say, as usual, with my unfiltered and raw review and take, so sit back and relax, and let's get into this. As the Mandalorians run out of the trap that Moff Gideon had set for them, Bo-Katan leads her people away as she talks to Axe Wolves, who is still jetpacking at furious speeds into the stratosphere to reach his ship and gather reinforcements. Wasting no time in this episode, we pick up right where we left off. And at this point, I'm still wondering who the spy could be this episode where, of course, we come to learn no one actually betrays the Mandalorians of the Mandalorians. And while that would have created more tension, of course, I actually kind of liked it better this way, that the Mandalorians get to stick together in unison. And I think that's really the key concept of this whole season. Din Djarin is taken to the debriefing room as Gideon ordered, but he's taken by two lackeys, two stormtroopers, which I thought was a little too convenient for Din. You know, send him with seven or eight stormtroopers. Anyways, he takes them out in a good fight when IG-12 shows up with Grogu in the middle, and Grogu helps save Din. Now, instead of telling Grogu to hide and stay safe like usual, he tells them they need to step up to the plate and fight Gideon. I really like this. You know, finally, they both get to fight against the evil. This is great. So they contact R5 to do some R2-D2 type stuff and grab schematics for the mission, as well as get his help on the Red Doors. Now, I gotta say, everything in this episode has some sort of Darth Maul remembrance to it. The red laser doors, Gideon's helmet, the armor's helmet, Gideon's double-bladed staff, but alas, no Maul mentions whatsoever. Maybe we'll know more in Season 4, maybe it's just for fans to speculate and have fun. Axe Woves reaches the ship and orders everyone to go help Bo-Katan against Moff Gideon, rallying massive forces together. As tie defenders scream upwards through the clouds and fire on Axis Cruiser, he centers his turrets on them and sets them to fire on autopilot. Back down on Mandalore, Din and Grogu get to the red shields that we saw Gideon go through last episode, just before he enters the room of the vat of clones. Now, he has R5 deactivate them one at a time. This is a bit of a R2-D2 type of mission, and I liked seeing it. The rest of the scene here is basically a fun video game style of fight progression, with Din acquiring the weapons of his fallen enemies one at a time as he levels up through each shield, getting a better weapon each time, finally getting a blaster at the end. R5 has a run-in with a mouse droid, but continues to help Din, and he's pretty much R2-D2, giving us a bit of a glimpse into how effective R5 would have been had he had his bad motivator not malfunctioned. You know, of course, despite not having Leia's message. As Din makes his way through all of the waves, he gets to the corridor of cloned Moff Gideons in tubes. Now, this whole time we didn't know what was in these clones, but now we see it's just cloned Moff Gideons. The scene is very much like Starkiller's cut in the Force Unleashed 2 where Vader walks through and Starkiller's eyes shoot open. I feel this was a direct nod and callback to that. So, Din hits a couple of buttons on the console and as Moff Gideon's clone shoots his eyes open at Grogu, they all explode and the boys get out of there. So, Moff Gideon was cloning himself this entire time and I gotta say look, I, I almost feel like this was some kind of a change storyline halfway through or something, because the clones that we saw in Season 2 really didn't look like humans at all. Maybe there was some sort of mutation with the Force sensitivity they were trying to imbue, which is a conversation that I'll get into a little bit later in itself, but even some of those clones in Season 2, you know, with Cara Dune, some of them looked very much like Snoke being created. I don't like the idea that this whole time we thought of something bigger with these clones like maybe Snoke or Palpatine or some Mount Tantis type of creature, like a force-sensitive Jedi or something like Jorah Sabayoth, but this whole time it's just Moff Gideon cloning himself with Grogu's blood to create a force-sensitive Moff Gideon who would be fitted with Mandalorian armor. I kind of find it super lame. First of all, Moff Gideon doesn't know the first thing about the Force or how to use it, at least uh, what we know now at this point. Second of all, he's not a superior species or a being. He's not a Zabrak. He's just a human. Jango Fett was cloned because of his unique fighting ability and bounty hunting skills, including reflexes unlike any other being before him, allowing him to eliminate Jedi without the Force to help. And this is, of course, because Count Dooku saw Jango Fett defeat Jedi when Count Dooku was still a Jedi. And when he started to turn to the dark side and become Darth Tyrannus. He, of course, told Sidious what he had seen as a good candidate for the clones. But Moff Gideon cloning himself, what's that really going to do? Beyond that, Din Djarin hitting a few buttons to sabotage his entire cloning creation was kind of funny. A bit ridiculous, really, as Moff Gideon surely needs a password-encrypted login or something. The Mandalorians blast off and enter a refugee surface cave, where the Mando pirates have sought refuge since the Purge farms that they planted themselves. Old indigenous species that hadn't grown since before the civil wars. But once people left Mandalore, they began to grow again, free of any disturbance. Now if you didn't know, Mandalorians were notorious for fighting amongst each other. The land was always war ridden. So of course life can't really grow very well, but now after the purge, no one's really been around there. So in some spots, A lot of soil is actually ready to grow a lot of organics. So this is great. Mandalore has the ability to still grow life and isn't completely uninhabitable. Life finds a way. The Armorer arrives with Bo-Katan's reinforcements and now it's a party. She leads them all with the Darksaber drawn out in front of her like Superman. And we get the most epic live-action scene of the Siege of Mandalore only against stormtroopers in Beskar. It was very much reminiscent of the Clone Wars, Siege of Mandalore. I really loved the scene. I just wish Paz could have joined us too. Mando enters Gideon's quarters, where he was observing them earlier on his GPS map. As the door closes behind Grogu, trapping them both in, Gideon stands at the other end, his blast door open. Touting that his clones were going to be the best parts of himself, but they would have the Force. He reveals his plan that he would have had Force-sensitive Gideons to create the ultimate army. Now, Gideon is smart, sure, but he's not really unstoppable. Even with the Force, Luke or Ahsoka would destroy him, regardless of his Beskar armor or not. We all saw what happened to those Dark Troopers. It takes decades to master the Force, and a proper Jedi Master or Sith Lord to teach the ways to harness one's abilities. Who is to say these Force-sensitive clones would even have a high potential of power? There have been so many times in Star Wars where Force-sensitives were cloned, or those without the Force tried to become Force-sensitive via blood transfusions of Jedi, much like what Dooku did to Grievous with sifo blood, and none of these things worked. And if they did, on the offshoot chance, The subjects all exhibited psychosis or depression or an unwillingness to obey, as we've learned in The Force Unleashed. So how Moff Gideon was able to do this successfully is quite groundbreaking, and I'd like to learn more as to how this happened. Maybe Dr. Pershing was able to harness the midi Chlorion somehow and interject them into each cell of these clones. It's possible, but even then, it's not really going to work. Din and Gideon fight with his double-bladed electrostaff, very Darth Maul-esque of him. Horned helmet, red and black colors, double-bladed staff. Gideon's suit is just very much Darth Maul. And I was hoping we could get some clarification on this, but alas, we didn't. Maybe in season four or another show. Now, his suit is too much for Din, and he beats him up pretty bad. We have to remember he's also cybernetic, so he is literally in an Iron Man suit. Now, I remember Gideon saying last episode that he's got Beskar Alloy, which means it could be weaker, it could be stronger. It's a hybrid of Beskar, meaning it has Beskar and some other metals or materials. But the main thing to take away here is that he is mechanical, like a dark trooper. So he's really not playing on a fair field. As Din gets beat up bad by the Praetorian Guards who just entered the scene, Grogu steps in with IG-12 saying no. No, no, no. When the guards leave Din and go for him. This was definitely an exciting scene. I thought, you know, stuff was really about to go down here. As Grogu moved back behind the blast doors with the guards, they closed bo steps in to save Din and allow him to help Grogu, all very conveniently timed, as she fights Gideon. IG-12 gets chopped up and Grogu jumps out using the force like Luke Skywalker taught him, running on the scaffold, until the guards chop down a pipe and Grogu falls, unable to move it, which I thought was really weird, didn't really make sense. Din gets in the door and fights the Praetorians with the help of Grogu's force powers. We see force push, Freeze and pull. Grogu and Din reminded me of Kratos and Atreus from God of War in this scene. They defeat the guards, which is interesting, you know, considering these Praetorian guards are supposed to be a last line of defense. They're super experienced fighters, and they gave Rey and Kylo Ren a run for their money in The Last Jedi, yet lost to Din Djarin and little Grogu's few force moves. Now, it is possible that Snoke's guards were top tier, and these weren't as skilled, I'm assuming, but I just have a hard time believing that, since these were given by the Empire. I was hoping for Grogu to have some more powerful moves that he learned from Luke, but I guess not bo loses to Moff Gideon in their duel as he breaks the Darksaber, which to me was also weird because it's made of Beskar, yet it was crushed by Gideon's mechanical hand, so how is this possible? My theory is, I guess, since Gideon's glove is Beskar, and it's mechanical, meaning it's extremely strong, it's the only thing that can actually break another piece of Beskar maybe because it's an alloy it could be stronger i'm not quite sure but that's my theory on it din shows up when Bo says mandalorians are stronger together giving us the mantra of the season basically that unity is important star wars fans are stronger when they're together Mandalorians are stronger when they're together. Din shows up, shoots Moff Gideon in the helmet and the torso. He drops his double-bladed electrostaff. Reaching for it, Grogu uses the force to throw it over the edge, leaving him defenseless. As Axewolves jumps his ship, blasting out of there with his jetpack, and the cruiser is on fire, coming down, crashing on them all, burning Gideon los pollos hermano style anakin barbecue style while grogu saves the day by pulling a Kanan jars from rebels and creates a force shield around them from the engulfing flames now this of course was the same move that Kanan performed to save hera and the ghost crew from the massive explosion as his eyesight returned at the last minute and let the fire take him. However, in this moment, there was no sacrifice at all. Everyone lives happily ever after. And I think, you know, that was one of the things that many of you were talking about during the Watch Party Live, that there was no real struggle. Everything was really easy. Everything felt like a video game being played on the easiest difficulty, as I like to say it. I feel like the battle between Din Djarin and Moff Gideon in Season 2 was much more exciting, climactic, and dangerous and tense than this one here. I was hoping Grogu would have used some crazier force powers, but he didn't. The Armorer says the creed for Paz's son that we saw at the start of the season as they stand in front of the waters, bathing him in the springs. Din asks if he can do the same for Grogu, his apprentice, to be added to the song, basically meaning can he be a Mandalorian. The Armorer denies as Grogu can't speak the creed yet, and I'm wondering, when is he going to be able to speak? You know, I mean, Yoda was able to teach Jedi at the age of 100, and Grogu here is 52. So it feel like, you know, it should be coming up soon, especially considering Yoda was training Jedi, which means he had to train for probably a decade at least, you know, depending on how fast he learns. So the Armorer denies him and he remains a foundling until Din says if his parents agree and give permission, then he could become a Mandalorian apprentice. And the Armorer says his parents could do that if They were around but they're probably really far away and they are probably not even alive now personally i think grogu is the child of yoda and yaddle as he was born the same time as anakin skywalker nine years before the phantom menace when yaddle was still very much alive and didn't die yet to count dooku like we saw in tales of the jedi din adopts grogu finally as his son, and it's a beautiful moment. The Armorer calls him Din Grogu, Mandalorian apprentice. The Armorer orders Din to leave Mandalore and start his apprentice on his journey. So this is cool. We're basically going to go back to the origins of season 1, but just now with Grogu. Bounty hunting time. Now, the really cool part here, which I think a lot of people missed, is Din Grogu looks down into the water and points as we go deep down and see the Mythosaur just as Bo-Kat saw it. It opens its eyes and bellows, feeling Grogu's energy. This is how I perceived this scene. This is major foreshadowing for Grogu to ride the Mythosaur someday in the future through beast control, through his ability with the Force in connecting with this creature, much like Ahsoka was able to do. The armorer carries a torch in the next scene at the Great Forge. Now this is the place on Mandalore where a lot of armor was created. It was a very religious place and it's about to be ignited once again. Kind of igniting the independence of Mandalore. Now as Bo ignites the massive forge from the torch given to her by the armor, breathing fire back into the Mandalorian culture and for armor to be made and crafted for all once again, they all bang their armored wrists together, and Beskar clangs can be heard throughout the hall. As they chant, for Mandalore in unison. Mandalorians are back and better than ever, baby. They are united. Din takes the armor's orders and leaves Mandalore as he heads to meet with Carson Teva at the New Republic bar where we see Dave Filoni having a drink behind them. Din Jarn meets with Carson Teva of the New Republic and he offers him to work for the New Republic on a case-by-case basis under the table for bounty hunting jobs that they won't go after themselves but rather need someone else to do. Such as, you know, catching Imperials and bad guys and places in the outer rim that the New Republic won't venture to because they're either too busy or they don't have the resources. Carson agrees to do it all under the table as an independent contractor. And we get Mando back hunting bounties back to season one. And I think that's when you know, what I really missed. You know, season one was absolutely phenomenal. And I love the fact that he was going on these bounty hunting missions. So I'd really love to see that once again. Now, on Navarro, which is the next scene we're at, Din is gifted a cabin by Grief Karga, as Din gifts him IG-11 in return as the town's marshal to basically look after the town and take care of them. Now, how did he get the parts? Well, these parts were actually from the unused IG head hanging in the bar with Carson Teva at the New Republic. We end the episode with Din kicking his feet up at his new cabin, thanks to grief and Grogu lifting a frog with the Force, like he did training with Luke Skywalker in the Book of Boba Fett. End of episode Looney Tunes Transition Style. Okay, so look, this episode felt more like a they lived happily ever after kind of thing rather than a major cliffhanger or a larger threat entering the galaxy, keeping us on the edge of our seat, you know, for the next season. I feel like we don't really need to see the next season. I would love to, don't get me wrong but I almost feel like this is a very happy ending that they could just leave it at. It's kind of like episode six, Return of the Jedi. Luke's looking out into the forest to see his father, Yoda, Obi-Wan, and then he goes back to the party with his friends, with Leia and Han and everyone else, and they all celebrate and all is well. And you just leave well enough alone. You just leave it at that. So I kind of feel like the end of this season is sort of open-ended that, hey, if we want to go back to the Mandalorian and make a season four, we will, but also, we don't really need to. And frankly, while I would love to see something exciting and be, you know, clamoring for the next season, I kind of like that the characters got a happy ending. I guess we'll see what happens with their new adventures going forwards. Now, personally, I would have loved it if Thrawn's fleet showed up to kill Gideon, perhaps, or show up outside Mandalore. I think they're keeping Thrawn for the Ahsoka show, as we don't know where he is at this point. This season of The Mandalorian really had no direction, like the first two seasons did. It focused a lot on Bo-Katan, which I liked, but I feel like we didn't get as much Mando as we thought we would like previous seasons. I really wanted to see more of the dynamic between Mando and Grogu, him and his ship flying around, and we didn't really get that. I hope the next season will return us to Mando and Grogu going on adventures with hopefully a much bigger threat like Thrawn or Snoke or someone new. I'm still processing the season, but overall it just wasn't nearly as good as the others The pacing was wild, some episodes moved super fast, while some just wasted important episode time like the Lizzo episode in my opinion. Overall, of course I enjoyed this final episode, however I feel so much more could have been done. Personally, if I were to write this whole season, I would have never had Grogu return with Mandalorian, I would have had him stay with Luke, learn some crazy abilities, maybe age a little bit over the two year gap that Jon Favreau mentioned happened here with Luke. And then when Din Djarin gets in trouble and trapped by Moff Gideon. Luke returns the child to the Mandalorian. Maybe Grogu can sense that Mando is in trouble. And he goes with Luke, and Luke ends up fighting one of the clones, or a bunch of the Force-sensitive clones that are successfully created by Moff Gideon, who could be anybody. Could be a young Palpatine, could be a clone of Luke himself, or maybe someone we don't know. I think it would have been really cool and interesting to see that battle while Moff Gideon fights Bo-Katan and Din Djarin in his new suit. We could also see how Grogu would fight against the Praetorian Guards just by himself using all of what Luke taught him with Yoda's lightsaber, which he was going to gift him if Grogu didn't go back to Mando. I think that would have been a much cooler episode, but we can divulge about that in another video, a standalone video on how I would have written season three of The Mandalorian. It is what it is. I'm excited to get maybe a season four someday and to finally get back on track with just Mando and Grogu venturing out into the Outer Rim and other parts of the galaxy and having some cool and fun adventures. Of course, after this, there's a lot of videos I want to make to cover some stuff that I'm still confused about or want to talk to you about. However, I'm really excited for the streams coming up with Jedi survivor and then of course visions. And then of course Ahsoka, which is of course, pretty much the end all be all for me. Hope you enjoyed the Mandalorian season three. Look forward to all of your comments down below and what you thought of the season and this final episode as a whole. And of course, as well as I'll see you in the follow up videos regarding smaller things that I'd love to discuss with you. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks to everyone that joined the watch party and I can't wait until they return until the next video.